1: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Takes a shot, runs into the box, shot, score!
1: It's time for Atlanta Soccer Tonight.
3: Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Gore!
1: This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore.
4: Let's kick it, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Jason Longshore. Welcome to our weekly soccer pirate radio show. It feels kind of pirate radio anyway. Uh, we cover soccer in Atlanta. We cover soccer all over the country. We cover soccer all over the world. That's what Atlanta Soccer Tonight does. We're less than two weeks away from the MLS regular season. Atlanta United has a home match this week on Wednesday. International opponent come into town, and there's a ton of different things to get into. Let's start with the new striker in town. Yorgos Yakomakis is officially a member of Atlanta United. We talked about it on Stoppage Time last week. He was introduced to the media on Friday. I was really impressed with Yorgos's personality and I, I think his confidence is not really a surprise but maybe his willingness to take on the look the elephant in the room he's replacing a club legend up top in Joseph Martinez and Yorgos Yakimakis is respectful of that but he's also not afraid of that and that's the kind of mentality. That you need from a striker. That's the kind of mentality that you need from an elite goal scorer. The kind of guy who might miss some chances in a match, but then might score the big goal in the 90th minute to win the match. It's just such a different mindset to be that elite kind of finisher. And I thought you got a glimpse of that from Yorgos Yakumakis. The whole press conference is available on YouTube, by the way. And I definitely recommend going to check it out. But this was the clip, to me, that impressed me the most. It was from a question from Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about replacing Joseph Martinez and about replacing a club legend. And does your ghost feel that pressure? Of course I
2: feel pressure, and I'm happy that I feel pressure. If I wouldn't, then I wouldn't have a big motivation. Uh, I like pressure. I work, uh, work under pressure all the time. Um, when I signed for Celtic, they asked me what number I want, and uh, this time I just said number seven. But number seven in Celtic was a legendary uh, number, it was Larson, Eric Larson, and uh, he's the legend, legend of the legends. So I respected, but uh, at the same time I, I wanted that pressure. I wanted that uh, motivation, and uh, I think I did well. So the same happens here. Um, I feel that this is also the number, but it's also the position, that I uh, have to replace a great player, that he write his uh, own history here for the club, and uh, especially in the league in the general. And uh, I feel nice, I feel nice because I, I feel that I have, I have to improve every, every, every day, more and more, and uh, keep scoring goals, and uh, make these people uh, right for, for their decision and uh, make them out. You have be number seven here? Awesome. Yeah. Okay. That last bit
4: was maybe the breaking news on Friday that Yorgos Yakumakis will wear number seven in Atlanta. The number he's, he wore at Celtic, as he said, he replaced Henrik Larson. If you don't know Henrik Larson's history at Celtic, go back and, and, and read about it. Go back and watch the highlight videos. He was a club legend at Celtic. Yakumakis was not afraid of taking that number on, knowing what it meant. He's doing the same in Atlanta. Uh, Again, I was just so impressed with his mentality, with his confidence, with his personality, about what you would expect out of a top striker. Now, look, he's going to have to produce. Um, I don't think there's a number set on it. And this was something that was asked as well. And and Carlos Bocanegra, I thought, explained it really well. It's not about purely the number of goals that Yakumaki scores and that defines success or failure. It is about the collective of that front four with Luis Araujo, with Tiago Almada, with Yakumakis up top, and with Derek Etienne on the left side. Sometimes you'll see Etienne and Araujo switch sides. We know that. But that front four, how many goals do all of them get? How many goals does the team get? If Yakumaki scores 20 plus, that's great. If he scores 12 to 15, but is involved in creating goals, for others, and you get 10 here and you get 10 there. Great. It's about the collective. And the scouting report that has stuck with me the most on Yorgos Yakumakis was from a scout who worked for VVV Venlo, the Dutch team that brought him in, which was a little bit of a surprise, him making the jump to the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. But one of the things that stood out to this scout about Yakumakis was he had that hunger for goals and that was something he talked about here in Atlanta on Friday was he just he's a goal scorer he wants to score goals that's that's the mentality of a number 9 but he didn't have that hunger for goals to the detriment of working for the team and finding his teammates or creating space for his teammates he gets the team collective and he's hungry for goals that's the perfect number 9 you're looking for I want to see how long it takes him to adjust to the way that Major League Soccer plays. It's a different league than the Scottish Premiership. I think in some ways that's very good for him. One thing he talked about in the press conference a lot was that Celtic is so used to having to attack low blocks. And when when you, when you say low block in MLS, it might be a team like we've seen in the past come into the bends like Colorado and put seven guys behind the ball, leave a couple up top. Uh, low block in Scotland might be the entire team in the 18 yard box to prevent a team like Celtic from getting opportunities. Okay. Maybe one guy up top, maybe possibly at least for 60 minutes, last 30, that guy's probably at the top of the 18 defending it's, it's a whole different mentality. You've got two top teams in that league and the other eight generally sit back and try to keep Celtic from playing. So you're not going to have that as much in major league soccer. There's going to be more space to operate in. And I'm curious how much respect he gets straight away from defenses and, and how much they try to worry about him when they know they've got to deal with Thiago Almada as the 10 Are they going to try to collapse on him at the top of the 18. They know Adoro Uju can beat them on the dribble. They're going to have to worry about that. They know Etienne can get in behind with his pace. They're going to have to worry about that. How much are they going to sell out to try to keep Yakumakis from finding that space, like they did in the past to keep Joseph Martinez from finding space. I'm very intrigued to see how these first few games go for him. Now, he is still awaiting his work visa as of now, from what I know, as is Luis Abram. Not expecting to see either one against Toluca on Wednesday, although Abram is a little bit further along in the process. He was just signed earlier, so paperwork could be done earlier. There's a better chance of him being ready for Wednesday. Yakumakis, I think it's fingers crossed that he is ready to go for San Jose on February 25th. Let's talk about the American Family Insurance Cup. Wednesday, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 7.39. That is the official kickoff time, 7.39. Get used to those nine after the announced time kickoffs in 2023. That's going to be the norm. It's a little, I think it's one minute later than we're used to from last year. So eh, there you go. But when you wonder when the actual kickoff time is going to be, nine minutes after the announced time, that's going to start on Wednesday against Toluca. Los Diablos Rojos, they come into this after a 3-1 win over Cruz Azul yesterday. Two goals from Maxi Araujo, the older brother of Cesar Araujo of Orlando. Two goals from Matarujo for Toluca. The last one, Bofo Salcedo, who I have some bad memories of during his time from Rail Salt Lake. He had a third one. It was a golazo late in the second half. Cruz Azul is a bit of a mess right now. Atlanta gets Toluca, who is in fifth in Liga MX in the Clausura. It was a big day for Toluca across the board. It was the 106th anniversary of the club's founding from 1917. So kind of fitting they get the win. They'll be looking to continue the celebration on Wednesday. Araujo has joined joined Toluca this season. Um, Comes over in a big transfer for them. Big expectations. He's delivered. Three goals, two assists in six league matches. The big questions coming into this, in my opinion, for both teams are how much are we going to see of the first choice players? I think for Atlanta United, you're looking at at least 60 minutes for everybody who can start in this match. Uh, Unless there's injuries that we don't know about, 60 minutes plus is what I'm expecting. and, And for some guys, it might be more of the 75 minutes plus variety. We don't know about Derek Etienne. Gonzalo Pineda speaks to the media tomorrow afternoon after training at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I hope we get a good update on Derek Etienne. Would love to see him in an Atlanta United kit on Wednesday, and it'll be a new kit as well. It is the new 2023 primary kit being launched. I think if you want to get yours uh, pre-sold with any customization you want, you got to do that by tomorrow afternoon. Check your emails if you're an Atlanta United season ticket holder. If you're a fan and you're going to the game on Wednesday, check the the team store site to find out when that cutoff is. But you can go ahead, put in your order, get the customization done so you can pick it up on Wednesday. Maybe you want a Derek Etienne jersey. Uh, Derek Etienne's going to be a popular one, I think, this year. When it comes to Toluca, what they're going to field against Atlanta United, there's questions because they're in the middle of the season. They're six games in. They played on Sunday. They're going to play again on Sunday. And it's not just any game coming up on Sunday the 19th for Toluca. It is a match against Pachuca. Big rematch. That was the final in the Apertura in October. Pachuca defeated Toluca. Pretty big margin as well is going to be looking for a little revenge. So I'm not expecting to see their starters for a long period of time in this one. I think it's probably most likely that we will see them for about 45. If there's any worries about injuries, and they do have a few players that injuries are a bit of a concern, we might not see those guys. Um, Camilo Sanveso is one, for example, uh, previous MLS Golden Boot winner with the Vancouver Whitecaps. We might not see Sanveso in this one, because he's just come back from injury. It's only started two of the six games. The game yesterday was the first game he started in a while. Didn't look great in my opinion. So I'm not really expecting him. I think we will see some triple digit numbers. Uh, You're going to see some of the U twenties. Some of the U twenties from Toluca have already been part of the first team. So no surprises there. There might be a few more that haven't been part of the first team that we see here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Wednesday. It's also going to be a lot of eyes on Atlanta United's defense. Look, they've scored a lot of goals in preseason. They've conceded a lot of goals in, in preseason. Now, we've only seen the goals they conceded in Chattanooga. We didn't see the goals that were conceded against Atlante or against Cruz Azul. So it's really unknown what to expect. Luis Araujo scoring tons of goals this preseason. Can he continue that? He had a strong preseason last year. That set him up for success. He scores in the opener, first 30 minutes, and was injured. And he missed weeks after that. And consistency was an issue for Adarojo the rest of the way, especially late in the year. But getting these goals early, we saw it last year, how good it was for him in that first game. I wish he hadn't gotten hurt there, and maybe we would have found out how long that could have carried on. I hope we get to find that out here in 23. I'm also curious to see how this midfield looks. But coming up in five minutes, MLS is taking over Coachella. Look, I don't think Bad Bunny has any competition from inside the league as a future headliner, but Minnesota might put a TAM deal in front of Bad Bunny to be their number 10. They've got some issues there. More on that, Atlanta soccer tonight, coming up, 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
5: Call from mom. Answer
0: it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and
4: the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast. Back
5: to
1: more of Atlanta Soccer tonight with Jason Longshore on Sports
4: Radio 929 The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer tonight, live on 929 The Game and the Odyssey app. We're going to get deeper into Atlanta and Toluca on stoppage time on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page and Twitch page on Wednesday, 2 o'clock. That pregame for that match will start at 7 o'clock, kickoff again 7.39. Uh, No full postgame show, but the game will be broadcast on Peachtree TV. Mike Conti and I will be on the call on Peachtree TV. And I'm just I'm really looking forward to seeing this team at this stage of the preseason to get a little bit better feel from it. Because those two games in Mexico, without being able to see them, I don't know if they played well and gave up bad goals. I don't know if they played badly and scored some lucky goals. There's no way to know. So I want to get a little bit better feel for where this team is. Because I like the 11 on paper that I'm expecting will be the first choice when everybody's available. I like some of the depth, but as we're finding all over MLS, there's questions. I I think for pretty much every team in the league coming into 2023, and not all bad questions, not all bad questions coming from a negative perspective or a hopeless perspective, just questions. There's injuries around the league. There's Potential moves that haven't quite been done yet. There are some new faces at some of these clubs. There's a lot of storylines that are really interesting. And a lot of those storylines are converging out in California. It is the Coachella Invitational, an event that I I think AEG is behind. They're behind the music festival. Um, They've got a bunch of teams out there training. Beautiful facility. I'd love to make that trip one of these days. But I know somebody who did. Eric Friedlander, who is an MLS journalist predominantly covering the New York Red Bulls, but he's had a chance to see a bunch of teams out in California during this event. So I, I wanted to, to pick his brain a bit about what he's seen. You can hear the whole conversation on the Off the Woodwork podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen right inside the Odyssey app. But first question, he's a New York Red Bulls guy. I had to ask him about the Red Bulls. And one of the big storylines Eric has written about it is potentially a different formation for the Red Bulls. They've always talked about playing a 4-2-2-2, kind of a a box in the midfield, very narrow, something that we've seen some of the Red Bulls teams do for periods of time. But is this going to be the year that we see the 4-2-2-2 really be the number one go-to for Gerhard Struber and the New York Red Bulls. Here's what Eric thought about that.
5: Yeah, I mean, for one, their center back depth is less. Like, you lose Aaron Long, and they haven't really replaced him. I always say kind of Andres Reyes is their in long replacement. And now, if they sign someone, it's not going to be to replace Aaron Long. It's going to replace Andres Reyes as a kind of high upside center back, younger, who's kind of the development third center back. Along with a uh, Hassan Ndam, who's kind of this drifter, he's been around many stops but hasn't really caught on anywhere. He's back with Red Bulls. Um, and Matt Nocita, the Navy graduate who couldn't join last year until midway, so played with Red Bull too. He looks much better, and but he has stuff to learn. He's really tall, really athletic, but positionally, sometimes it's he gets turned by smaller, quicker attackers because he gets too tight to an attacker. And that's something that young center backs learn. So with that depth kind of being thin there, the three in the back that they played, which was kind of a defensive structure, the kind of cover for, I think, some defensive and pressing inefficiencies they had, is out the window, it seems. So this 4222 is kind of how I refer to it. Definitely seems like at least the start of the year, the way they're going forward. They signed a striker in Dante Van Zier, who's really only played and had success as a in a two-striker setup. They signed Corey Burke to kind of be that big target forward that they haven't really had.
4: Those two strikers are the interesting component with the Red Bulls because that was why they could never really play the four two two two, four triple two before. They didn't have strikers who could play in a pair. Bradley Wright Phillips, you wanted him by himself. He was best by himself. It didn't work to pair him up with somebody there. It just didn't work. The movement wasn't there. The the, the spacing wasn't there. Now you've got two guys that I think will work in that scenario. A couple questions about Burke in, in that scenario. But Van Zier, you know, it's just can he adjust to the league and can he do well in this league? But pedigree is there. The style of play suits this. I think the center back. Depth issue is definitely Part of this too um, Matthew Nosita was one of the Players in the draft last year That I was really fascinated by Because you don't find a whole lot of six eight field players Period Let alone a center back, let alone with the skills That Nosita has But you have to figure out how to Play with that because again It's not typical, he's good on the ball He's, he's got pace But you've got to learn how to play in the Red Bulls pressing style. And the center backs are the ones who are maybe the least aggressive of any of the players on the field because they're the last ones. So he can't be overly aggressive like he was in college because he was doing that deeper in his own half. With the Red Bulls, he's going to be defending guys at midfield. He's got to give a little more space and, and figure that out. Uh, Sean Nealis will will be an interesting one as well. No, Aaron Long. Look, I have some questions about the Red Bulls defensively. I have questions about St. Louis City as well. Brand new team in the league. They're going to be cut from kind of the same cloth as the Red Bulls. You're going to see that German pressing slash counter pressing style out of St. Louis. We've seen it with the Red Bulls. We've seen it with Cincinnati. Now you've seen it with Philadelphia. It's had varying levels of success. Philadelphia is the one who I think has perfected it the most. They got all the way to the final one moment away from winning the thing last year. Can they do that again? Is everything going to fall their way again for that to happen? Be very curious to see. I'm even more curious to see how St. Louis City looks in year one. Eric had a chance to see them at the Coachella event. This was his take.
5: Yeah, so St. Louis... Was interesting they also i think they control they look more like a jesse marsh red bull team okay early jesse marsh days with like grella bwp they have some interesting pieces in attack they have the number nine klaus who much to my surprise was 25 he does not look 25 (laughs) very big very bald like receding hairline i thought he was 30 I was like, oh, this is like a Bundesliga veteran. Then I looked up his Wikipedia, and I was like, oh, he's 25. That is interesting. (laughs) He's not your classic number nine. He likes to drop off the center backs, like come collect the ball, kind of let the wingers play off of him. And it'll be interesting to see how that works in MLS because those players don't always click right away in terms of goal production. And I could see that being an issue early on for St. Louis. It's just not having... The pieces all together. Um, after the game, Bradley Carnell was very happy with how they pressed. He said for about 60 minutes, they did control the game. Vancouver definitely came on in the second half, and that's something you saw with those early Jesse Marsh teams with like Mike Rella and BWP, Lloyd Sam. They started to the fade a little bit.
4: You can hear the whole conversation I had with Eric Friedlander on the Off the Woodwork podcast. More on the Coachella event. We talked about the LA teams. We talked about Portland. We talked about Vancouver a little bit. We talked about Minnesota. talked about Toronto. Kind of bounced around the league. Talked about identities for teams. Make sure you're subscribed to Off the Woodwork. You'll get all of our soccer content from 92.9 The Game. And make sure you're following Eric on Twitter as well. E-F-R-I-E-D 97 on Twitter, and he writes on Medium as well. Great piece about that Red Bulls formation change for this year. Now, I mentioned Minnesota, and they could be in the number 10 shopping aisle right now. Uh, Bad Bunny, I don't know his skills. Um, I don't know if they can get him to to come into Minnesota and play in St. Paul. I was shocked that Bad Bunny was as good in WWE as he was, so I'm not putting anything past the guy. But Minnesota needs some help at the number 10 right now because their number 10, Emmanuel Reynoso, has been suspended without pay by MLS because he has not reported to preseason training. This was announced on Friday. No further details in the statement from Minnesota United or from Major League Soccer. He's 27. He's remained in his native Argentina since camp opened more than a month ago. Adrian Heath has said that Reynoso has been dealing with personal matters. He hasn't said anything about a timeline, just hopeful that he'll join soon. Minnesota signed Reynoso to a new three-year designated player deal in late September of last year. Buddy, that is not the situation that Adrian Heath is looking for coming into this season. He signed an extension as well. I wonder what the uh, hot seat ranking list is going to look like in NLS as we go into the season, because I got a feeling Adrian Heath might end up on it because of the absence of Emmanuel Reynoso. Let's talk about San Jose. That's going to be Atlanta United's first opponent. They've been in the news for a couple very different reasons. Let's talk about the good news for them first. Their young star, and I think he is legitimately a young star to watch. I don't care how old he is. Cruz Medina, who's playing for the US U17s right now, he could factor into the Quakes and MLS this year. He's that good. He had a hat trick in the 5 0 win for the US over Barbados to open the U17 tournament. The US won tonight against Trinidad and Tobago. Moving along pretty well, the USU-17s. It's very early in the tournament. It's always a slog when you get through these CONCACAF events. The bad news for San Jose is they lost Nathan, their center back, to an ACL injury in the first preseason match of the year against Monterey Bay of the USL Championship. He's out indefinitely. It's likely going to be season ending. It's just he hasn't had the surgery yet, so they're not 100% sure on that. It's severe enough to the point that San Jose went out and acquired Jonathan Mensa from the Columbus crew. Now, didn't come cheap. Mensa has worn the captain's armband for Columbus, so they didn't want to just let him walk out the door. He is going into the last year of his contract, which is what probably helped this move get over the line. Columbus is going to get up to $500,000 in general allocation money. $200,000 is guaranteed across the next two seasons. That's palatable if you're San Jose. 300000 of it is conditional. That conditional part breaks down to 150000 per year that he's on San Jose's roster in 24 or 25. Now, again, 23 is the last year of his contract. So he might not be back in San Jose, and it might only be a $200,000 deal. Uh, I, I mean, to replace somebody who you lost for the year and is expected to be back next year? Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And Mensa leaving Columbus, a little bit of a surprise. I want to see how they replace him. Center backs are going to be a, a talking point all over the league because, I mean, we've already talked about Atlanta United with Luis Abram coming in with getting Miles Robinson back from an Achilles injury. San Jose losing Nathan, adding Mensa. New York Red Bulls losing Aaron Long. How are they going to look? How's LAFC going to look with Aaron Long going there? How's Sporting Kansas City going to look? Because they barely have any center backs on their roster, and they just lost one of them. Courtney Ford, Achilles injury. We know that all too well here in Atlanta. He's going to be out. They only have three center backs on the roster, period. One of them is a rookie, Chris Rendolph, who was just signed, second-round pick out of the University of Maryland. They've got to be in the market for a center back, right? Center back to me, just looking at where the league is right now, and there's going to be more signings before opening day, center back is the position that is going to decide a lot of playoff berths and a lot of seating around the league because it's a question for almost everybody in the league. There's very few teams that are completely settled at center back, either with their starters or Or the depth is an issue. There's something there for almost everybody at center back. It's very hard in this league with a salary cap to allocate enough money to have everything you want at that position. We'll see how teams handle it. I'm very curious about what Sporting Kansas City does now in the trade market. Atlanta United. Maybe could use another center back. I'm kind of leaning to no because I think Noah Cobb is going to step up and be the fourth guy. I do like the competition between Abram and Porata for that starting spot. I think competition's good. It gives them the ability as well to play three center backs very comfortably with Abram on the left, with Robinson in the middle, and with Porata on the right. I think we'll see that from time to time with Atlanta United in 2023. Coming up next, three local stories, four world headlines, three things that make me smile about this incredible game that we love so much. 343 is up in five minutes on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
4: Tonight's show with the 3 four, three. 3 4 three. three local stories, four headlines from around the world, and three things that made you smile about the game.
1: Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game.
4: Welcome back. Final segment, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, the 3-4-3. Three, three. This one moves pretty fast. I'm going to try to get everything in. I haven't missed anything yet doing these, but let's get started. Three local stories. Number one. Paulo Neto keeps winning trophies for Atlanta United on the EMLS side. Third straight EMLS trophy. He won the League Series 2 championship over the weekend. Just won the League Series 1 championship before that. Won the EMLS Cup before that. Next up is the EMLS Cup for 2023. I think it's at South by Southwest in Austin here coming up. But Paulo Neto is just running roughshod. Over the whole EMLS world. They're running out of things to say about him. Watching these broadcasts. It's just awesome to see. Paulo is just as chill as you can get. Destroying people in these games. Just an incredible player. What a signing for Atlanta United's gaming side of things. Very, very cool. Paulo's good people. And it's good to see him having all this success. Number two on the local side. Atlanta could be home. To a new U.S. Soccer Federation training center, headquarters, and a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging innovation lab. The Athletic had the report last week. Two cities have been mentioned. There's probably others Atlanta and Cary, North Carolina. Cary, North Carolina would take an existing facility and, and, and kind of upgrade it and build stuff around it. The Atlanta United or the Atlanta Project, I don't think has anything to do with Atlanta United. The Atlanta project would be a brand new build. That's why I don't think it has anything to do with Atlanta United. 14 plus fields for the senior national teams, the youth national teams, the extended national teams, cutting edge training facilities, collaborative workspaces, high tech sporting equipment. All the things you would expect in a uh, fundraising document is what is being shared. And it's going to be about a $300 million capital campaign by U.S. Soccer to get something like this done. It'd also be headquarters for USSF staff because they're in just an office building in downtown Chicago right now. They left the soccer house building that was in Chicago. So, I mean, the renting office space, it'd be nice to have their own headquarters to call home. It'd be great if it was in Atlanta and you had the national teams coming through here all the time. That'd be very cool. Maybe the national teams would actually play in Atlanta, not in competitions. They just pick a friendly to play in Atlanta. That'd be nice. The men haven't played a match in Atlanta since 1977 that was booked by them. I'm not including the CONCACAF Gold Cup that was booked by CONCACAF and Jeffrey Webb, the head of CONCACAF at that time. Uh, he, I, I don't know if he's in jail right now, but go read about it. There, there's lots of things. He he liked Atlanta. He He put some money in different places in Atlanta, money that he probably shouldn't have had. All kinds of stories about Jeffrey Webb. But U.S. soccer hasn't booked a men's game here since 77. And the last women's game, it's been a little while, and they really haven't had a high-profile game in quite a while. That needs to change. We get the headquarters, it'll definitely change. Number three on the local side, Ricardo Clark, formerly of St. Pius, formerly of AFC Lightning, when he was a youngster here in the metro area. He's been named the Vancouver Whitecaps 2 head coach in MLS Next Pro. Over 400 matches as a pro, represented the U.S. over 30 times, played at the 2010 World Cup. A great guy who gives back to his community as well. Ricardo was a good friend of soccer in the streets when I was with the organization. Uh, gave his time, gave, gave his, his cachet to the organization. Came out one day, when we had a uh, pickup games in Jonesboro, where he's from, and just came out, hopped in, played with the kids. It was very, very cool. Ricardo's good people. And I'm really happy to see more guys who have went on and played in the pro side of things going into the coaching realm. Very, very cool to see. Four headlines from around the world. Let's start north of the border in Canada. The Canadian Soccer Association is in quite the fight with their women's national team players. Uh, They said they're going to cut the budget in a World Cup year on the women's side to the point that. They might not have a series of games in Canada before the team goes to the World Cup. It's Kind of a big deal. They might cut the youth national team budget substantially. That's kind of a big deal. It's kind of weird too, because there's, there's recent P and L statements that are floating out there. And I don't a hundred percent know if they're accurate, but they show that the Canadian soccer association didn't lose a bunch of money in 20, 2020 dealing with COVID. They did. Okay. They, they, basically broke even they made a decent chunk of money in 2021 and look i think we all know that when a team plays in the men's world cup they're gonna make money being part of that big event everybody knows what the prize money looks like for teams even like canada who were bounced in the group stage and you're cutting the budget after that I'm very confused and there has to be some serious questions about this to the point that the Canadian Parliament is expected to get involved and that might happen this week. So if you're in charge of the Canadian Soccer Association, you might have some problems ahead of you it's It's pretty bad when the Canadian Parliament's going to get involved. Uh, the English Parliament's not going to get involved in this, but it's number two on our world headlines. The VAR, Decisions from the weekend in the Premier League. Uh, The best league in the world, right? Uh, The referees best in the world, right? Uh, uh, Howard Webb probably wishes he hadn't left MLS and pro. He really probably would like to come back. I don't think he's getting his job back. VAR decisions in the Arsenal and Brighton matches were down to quote human error, according to the professional game match officials limited. That's the pro organization in England uh, missing an offsides against a player who has created a goal. That's pretty bad. Placing the offside line to the wrong player. That's pretty bad. These are quote significant errors in the VAR process. Yep. That would about sum it up. Um, Howard Webb's going to be open about errors. And look, he did that when he was here with pro at first. And then, well, there were some not public oopsies that were relayed to teams, private oopsies, apologies, what have you. It was very public early on, and that kind of got quieter as the mistakes were still there. Is that going to be the case in England? Um, We'll find out. He has moved swiftly on this one. John Brooks, who was the VAR for the Crystal Palace Brighton game, he was supposed to be VAR, today for liverpool and everton he was not he was supposed to be var for arsenal and manchester city on wednesday he will not be we don't know about the other referees that were involved but at least one has lost assignments because of significant errors yeah a little bit mexico on our number three slot on the world headlines they have a new men's head coach diego coca First at the international level for the 50-year-old Colca, who has previously coached clubs in Argentina, in Colombia, most recently Mexico. He won back-to-back Liga MX titles with Atlas, the 21 Apertura, the 22 Clausura. He had only just been hired by Tigres right before the World Cup. Colca will have to put things together quickly, March, CONCACAF Nations League, Mexico's away to Suriname at home to Jamaica. They should be fine in those. Jamaica might be a little tricky. They should be fine in those. We'll see. Uh, First tournament for Mexico will be the Gold Cup this summer. He was asked if he felt pressure to win these tournaments, and and he said, I don't see it as pressure. I'm the coach of the Mexican national team. You have to win in even pickup games. If we transmit that competitiveness and that mentality, it's going to be natural to enter, enter the field and win. We'll see, also see if he uh, brings Chicharito back into the mix with the Mexican national team, something that Tata Martino did not want to do. Tata, by the way, has been linked with the job at Valencia in La Liga, trying to keep them up and prevent them from being relegated. That ownership situation's a mess. Tata, no, you shouldn't take that. Don't, because it could go very badly. It's It's a very big mess at, at Valencia. It's not a good spot for you, Tata Martino. Please don't take it. Number four on the world headlines, Champions League. It's back. The round of 16 starts this week. Biggest match tomorrow, PSG hosting Bayern. Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi, they are part of the squad. Mbappe had a hamstring injury on February 1st, was expected to miss three weeks. He's had two training sessions. He's in the squad, expected to come off the bench against Bayern, according to ESPN sources. Messi has been training now. Marco Verratti has been training. They're back from injuries. PSG has been bad lately. They lost 3-1 at Monaco in Liga on Saturday. Fourth loss in 11 matches. Bayern haven't lost since September. So, everything's riding on this for PSG, and they're not coming into this in great form. Milan hosts Tottenham tomorrow. Both games at 3 o'clock. Wednesday, Club Bruges and Benfica. Borussia Dortmund hosting Chelsea. Dortmund's won six straight in all competitions. Chelsea's only won one of their last eight since the start of 2023. But not Champions League. Best match of European competition this week might be Thursday in the Europa League. Barcelona hosting Manchester United. Barcelona has won their last eight in all competitions. They're leading La Liga. They look like they're going to win La Liga. Not trying to jinx it. Just they look like they're going to win it. They should be okay to handle that. Manchester United, not in that position in the Premier League, but they've only lost one of their last 10. And that loss was in London to the leaders. Arsenal could get very, very interesting for the Europa League. Barcelona and Manchester United. That might be the one that I'm looking forward to the most out of European competition being back. All right, three things that make you smile about the game. Look, it's easy to be negative. I know. Who's going to play here? How many goals is this guy going to score? We're a couple weeks ahead of the season for Atlanta United. I know people are drawing conclusions from potato cam, phone footage from games that are sideways against Atlante. Like, I know. I get it. I get it. But you got to remember why we love this game so much you got to remember the things that make you smile that's why we end every atlanta soccer tonight with three things that made me smile from the last week number one for me was a game i got to call for our soccer down here network johnson high school against gainesville high school on friday night packed stadium i don't think there was a seat left in the place by the time the boys game kicked off and it was a great match between johnson and gainesville Gainesville, a title contender in 6A. Johnson, defending state title winner from last year. Classifications moved, so might be a little trickier this year. Johnson got the win 2 1. Jorge Sandoval, who spent some time with Atlanta United's Academy and their UPSL team, the U19s, he had a great winner. Beat two or three players on the dribble, a little outside of the left foot flick. Trace Dados, brilliant, brilliant goal crowd goes nuts just incredible atmosphere go see good high school games in your area I highly recommend it you will remember why you love this game so much when you go see the kids play at that level because you get their their students cheering the parents cheering it, it's just it's such a cool atmosphere I love it and and Friday night was a blast I absolutely enjoyed it Another thing I enjoyed this past week was the goal from André-Pierre Gignac on the weekend for Tigres on the volley. That guy, I mean, he's French, so he should age like fine wine, right? But he just keeps on doing it for Tigres. I don't think he broke out the old man cane celebration on this one, but the goal was exquisite. Questions about Tigres. I mean, with Coca leaving and going to the national team, how is Tigres going to look without him? As long as they've got Zinyak and they added Nicolas Ibanez from Pachuca, Tigres is going to be one of the contenders in Mexico. No question about it. But my number one thing that made me smile about the game this past week, Copa Argentina, fifth division team, Centro Español. They knocked out a first division team, Tigre, on penalties. Tigre scored in the first minute of this match, too. Centro battled back. They got an equalizer. They end up winning the penalty shootout. This was the first time that this club had ever played a top-flight team in official competition, ever in the history of the club, ever played a top-flight team in a, a cup. They've never been in the top-flight, no, nowhere even close, but in a cup. They've never played a first-division team until this, and they win. Los Gallegos, that's the nickname uh, of the club, Gallegos in Argentina. These players train in the morning, and they go to work. None of the players on this team are fully professional as soccer players. None of them. None of them. But they've advanced in the Copa Argentina. They will play Edwin Mosquera on loan from Atlanta United and his Defensa y Justicia in the next round. You can find the the captain's pregame speech as well from the locker room. It's on Reddit, and it's got English subtitles. Highly recommend going to see that. I can't play it here. There's some things that don't fly over the radio, even Soccer Pirate Radio on 92.9 The Game and and the Odyssey app. Make sure you join Mike Conti and me for stoppage time. Wednesday afternoon, 2 o'clock. The call of the game will be on Star 94, the American Family Insurance Cup, Toluca, Atlanta United, Wednesday night. Pre-game coverage starting at 7 p.m., kickoff 7.39 Hope to see some of you at the Benz. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Adios, everybody.
1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit
3: HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,